Hello, this is Catherine. Welcome to Friendly Anarchism. Want to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Maddie, um, and I am an organizer with the Friendly Fire Collective. I am also in Friendly Fire Collective. It's been a really wonderful experience. Can I ask how you got involved with the Friendly Fire Collective? <clears throat> yeah, I uh, was introduced to it by my good friend, Heisung, um, who was like my friend for years, and we've been like talking for years, and he was telling me about this like radical mystic Quaker uh, group that he was a part of. And I was like, okay, this is super weird, but I'm down for it. <laughs> <laughs> and so he asked me to uh, like, if I wanted to get involved and I was like, yeah, sure. And like, so he added me to the Facebook group that there is. And then I got to meet everybody else who was organizing and, and it's been a really uh, great experience so far. So do you consider yourself a Quaker? Not at all, no. I um, I was raised uh, Messianic Jewish, um, and I still hold a lot of uh, Jewish tradition um, and, and also a lot of uh, Christian uh, tradition. I really practice that as well. However, a lot of the experiences that I've had uh, working with the Friendly Fire Collective, because it's mostly a, a, a lot of Quakers, has been kind of uh, eye-opening to a lot of what Quakers believe and think and how they practice their worship, uh, which has been super cool and different. Um, it's been, I've learned a lot about Quakerism. Also through your podcast, I have learned a little bit about Quakerism. And so that's kind of where I'm getting my introduction to it and where I'm like really kind of, like kind of really learning and falling in love with what Quakerism is. Yeah, it's fun. Um, Quakers are a fun group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, we're happy to have you. It's fun to have sort of diverse voices in the group as well and um, I was really interested in talking to you about sort of um, your Jewish heritage because you said you're sort of a mystic Jewish heritage too so that's sort of like there's crossover there with the Quaker Christian mystic tradition isn't there in some ways and just at least philosophically yeah absolutely uh, through like a lot of like Kabbalah uh, which is where uh, like like Hebrew mysticism uh, like it's where Jewish or Judaism started um, from like the Hebrew mystic tradition. Um, and then also I think there's like Christian Kabbalah as well, um, where like uh, this sort of mystic practice and like, uh, like even like sacred geometry and those kinds of things like numbers having specific meanings um, and like equations and, and, and numbers adding together uh, can represent like God. Um, and so like there are like certain like numbers that together because in the Jewish alphabet like each letter also represents a number as well hmm. and so like putting together those numbers uh like you can't say 20 like by 10 and 10 like or, or 2 and 10 uh you have to say like 11 and 9 um because otherwise it also can can spell out one of the names for God and that's kind of forbidden in um a Jewish law so it's just yeah. like it's super weird and funny uh some of the things that Jewish tradition has has uh, taught us and inspired us to do as far as like even the way that we write out the number 20. Yeah, I had no idea that sort of, would you call it numerologies or like links to? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think it, it's numerology is, is where we like the modern understanding of it. But uh, Kabbalah is what I've heard it uh, called in practice. Huh. Yeah, totally. I, so the first thing I thought of, and this is probably um, 
like sacrilegious, but it like the first thing I thought of was like those Nicolas Cage movies. Or like you know, like the Illuminati kind of stuff. It's like it's like the like they did numerology, like they did like this like mystic kind of a mystic kind of thing that's like gotten out of control in popular culture where like all of these like there's like secret hidden meanings and like all of these little things and you can like <laughs> tie it together in this weird thing and I would never have associated that with with a mystic faith but it makes it kind of so I don't know I'm babbling a little bit but it's just like the connections that are being made in my head because I didn't think about that at all you know and yeah it's, it's interesting it is and like the fact that there are so many things about like even mysticism that aren't really understood by the people who practice it. Like instead it's just sort of like a, we're doing this and it's like, it's working somehow. Um, or like we are tapping into this divine, the spirit, this energy, and we're able to get something out of it. I think it has the ability to be misconstrued or, um, sort of like, usurped by uh, certain people, certain yeah. religious groups or certain whatever, uh, even the mainstream culture, yeah. um, to like allow for, a, I don't know, a doctrine of, of hate, it can be, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was my cat. Yeah. <laughs> He's being obnoxious. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, that. He's just like, me, just like, no okay um <laughs> where was i um um we're talking about mystic traditions being yeah mystic traditions usurped i don't know oh yeah mystic traditions being usurped totally so mystic traditions being usurped is a really interesting subject because you're talking about sometimes we as mystics don't even really know why things work or how they work um, because I think that one of the points of a mystic tradition is that it's a seeking faith. Yeah. That it's, it, the idea is like, well, we don't necessarily have the answers. There may not even be an answer. You know? Yeah. We're seeking the mystery of of the spirit of the divine. And, and we're receiving something out of it. So we're tapping into something. Um, but I don't think that we could fully tap into all of it. Right. Otherwise, I think that can be extremely dangerous. <laughs> right, yeah, totally. We're talking about, like, pure sort of power, pure power of love, which is God is the infinite. So it's like, and that humans are sort of um, unable to comprehend all of that. So the yeah. music is saying, like, well, we're just seeking God, we're looking for God, we're, like, the, the journey itself, the, the path to try and find is really important and is as important as having any answers and maybe they're you know what I mean and I, yeah. I feel like I feel like anytime a mystic someone who calls himself a mystic and says they have answers is a very dangerous person someone to be aware of be wary of you know because that's when you sort of get into this sort of fascist mysticism saying like well I can give you answers on how to solve your problems in your life and those answers are you know to hate immigrants and to be patriarchal pieces of shit you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it makes me think of Jordan Peterson, you know, do you know him? I don't know him. He's what does this, he do? He is this Canadian um, professor who is terrible and says terrible patriarchal things and calls himself a mystic, but he's obviously sort of a fascist mystic. Um, and there's a long history of fascist mysticism, like uh, Julius Evola was a really popular guy 
um, throughout sort of the Holocaust era and further on and um, um, in, in sort of this co-optation of being able to touch the divine, right? Yeah. Sort of like be able to have a direct connection with divinity and having, so people saying like, well, I have a direct connection with divinity because I'm a mystic, therefore I know more than you, or like I have answers to problems that you don't. I don't think, like that's, I think that's really dumb <laughs> for a couple of <laughs> reasons, but like mainly I think that that's like, it doesn't make any sense because I think you also have to have a, a, a divine connection to other people as a result of your mysticism. I think that like, like because God is in everybody or the spirit is in everybody, then, then there has to be a connection with people. Then you're, you're seeking out the spirit in other people. And that's how we're able to, you know, that's how I'm able to wrap my mind about a lot of the, the reasons I'm an anarchist and a, and a Marxist is because like, I have to be doing these things because of the God or the divine in other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm seeking, you know, the divine in those people as well. And I'm seeking and, and, and reaching out and touching those things um, is just a better way of informing my practice, I think, and helping my spirituality and making me feel closer to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree that the mysticism isn't about you as a person being closer to God than other people. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, so we, when, when I first joined Quakers, I didn't understand that totally. I thought a Quaker mystic was like a special person within the Quaker church. Like there's Quakers and then there's like these special people that are called Quaker mystics, you know? And uh, it had to be explained to me that no, we're all mystics. That Quakerism is a mystic tradition, meaning that every person is a mystic. Because like when you know, we talk about like video games or popular culture, you talk about the mystic being like a single special person. You know yeah. I mean? And so um, hearing that, well, it's this entire tradition of mysticism, you know, saying that we are all equal and can all access God with work, with some work and some practice. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So the, the answer really to saying like, well, mystics have answers to things is like, well, mystics just wait on answers. You know, like, like mystics are, anybody can have a direct connection to God. Mystics are people who like actively seek that out as part of their daily practice I think and that's the only difference it's not that anybody else is anyone is closer to God than anybody else is that we just like actively seek as part of our religious practice it's that seeking that is is where we get the the answers but even then I don't think we actually get any answers yeah. we're, <laughs> we're just still seeking and like that's ultimately enough for us because we're still we're existing in that moment and we're able to to feel that connection to the spirit and and let that sort of be enough for us <laughs> sustaining. I read some crazy statistic that I should go find that some like pretty large segment of people say that they have had a mystical experience where something sort of unexplainable or something divine has happened to them that they don't have answers for. Um, and it's a it's a lot of people, and it's sort of uh, an aspect of being human that I think has been sort of shunned or devalued by sort of post enlightenment culture. Um, when it's so common, it's actually very common, you know. What I mean? So that's the point: is that it's actually very common that lots of people have had these direct connection moments to this divine source, 
you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. in a way, everybody's a mystic. It's just some, you know what I mean? And it's like, that's the whole point is that we all have that direct connection. So that's why people like Jordan Peterson and Julius Evola, Evola or Evola, I don't know sure, um, saying that like, I am a mystic is kind of off-putting. But then it's like, but then I say the same thing, like, I am a Quaker mystic. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of like I I feel like I have to differentiate myself from other kind of of religious people sometimes because uh, I feel like sometimes or with some religious cultures mysticism is not valued mm-hmm. or it's like outright rejected um, in order because it's it, yeah like you said the post enlightenment kind of uh thinkers and and philosophies and even like a lot of like baptists in particular really don't like mysticism and Mm -hmm. and charismatic culture uh like they don't like being able to speak in tongues or 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 speak prophetic words into existence and it's just like but all of those things are still happening all around us so how can you say that the lord is no longer moving here today well and then if you talk about mystics being connected to witches, right? Yeah. Like, sort of like, um, I think like I think witches is another type of uh, mystic tradition or way of saying that. And of course, it's always been the like ultra religious folks that have hunted the witches, right? Yeah. So, I think I'd probably be a witch. I mean, we I, shouldn't say I, that. I've been of... wanting to like learn some witchcraft <laughs> in order to like make me a better mystic. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like. So I'm, like, trying to, like, reach out to people who are, like, natural empaths, and I'm, like, I'm an empath. Like, how can I, like, help, you know, hone that craft so I can, like, not feel so overwhelmed all the time by, like, yeah. all these people around me? Or, like, yeah. I want to I feel more than I am feeling. Like, how can I do that? Like, how can I get into, like, the nitty-gritty of, of people's energies? Like, so... Witchcraft is super cool because it kind of allows you to to get into that. Um, I have a cousin who's like a witch, um, so I'm been trying to talk to her, but she's like really secretive about a lot of her stuff because of, I guess, just the judgment of, of people around her. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to get answers out of her. Yeah, I mean, when I was younger, I think I've always been sort of seeking some kind of faith or um, connection to something and I looked into Wiccan and I was Wiccan for a while I had the pentagram or pentacle that I wore um, and um, was trying to find that connection to something and I think that the witch I would love to have a witch on the show because there's a really there's a really fun pagan tradition um, that I've heard of in anarchist circles too there's a lot of sort of an anarchist sort of occult type of thing which is kind of yeah. fun and I don't know that much about um I actually know a witch I should ask her to be on the show <laughs> yeah um, ask her that'd be so cool <laughs> yeah that'd be really cool but I think in a different time and place I in back in the day I think I would have been considered a witch I like to think that this is because it's another thing of like wanting to feel special you know like I am so cool and special that I would have been burned at the stake. It would have been awesome. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, honestly, same though. But yeah, I probably I would have been like burned at the stake for being queer, honestly. Mm, that's true. There's <laughs> so. a lot of reasons that probably would have been burned at the stake. Yeah. Or even just like Jewish, I probably would be like burned for that. Or just... <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> somewhere, somewhere, <and> sometime. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping that we don't get burned at the stake. That'd be great, actually. That'd be that'd be super cool. <laughs> I mean, my my um, patron saint, Saint Tecla, they tried to burn her at the stake for saying that she didn't have to get married. But if a man were to say that, that probably wouldn't be as big of a deal, though. No, huh? I think men men got to choose whether or not to get married, and women just had to if somebody asked, I think. I mean, I can't, I can't really speak to that, but that sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, historically, yeah. yeah we'll just so... punish women for having independence. So. Yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> sounds Tecla... like history. But St. Tecla was sort of um, a mystic because she had a connection to spirit, but she had it through St. Paul, so she had it through a man, which is unfortunate. But they did try and burn her through, burn her at the stake, and um, God intervened, and like a, a spout of water came and doused out all the flames. So that's pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. that's good enough. Yeah, I hadn't really ever made the connection between like for somehow I never made the connection about Saint Tecla being burned at the stake with like witches, and then like with mysticism. That seems all like pretty obvious now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm thinking of like Saint Joan. Of our, who is, wasn't she burned at the stake for her, her prophecies and connection, or maybe she not, she wasn't burned, she was executed. Uh, she was dead. She got dead. She's, she got killed by someone. <laughs> I'm not sure how <laughs> for, that happened. For her connection to God. And, yeah, she was prophetic, for sure. And her desire to, like, just her mystic, her mysticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joan of Arc is a really interesting character, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, what else do you want to talk about? Uh, so I'm excited about the retreat a lot. We can talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. about like what kind of things people can expect. Yeah. Yeah. What can we expect? Um, <clears throat> so far, a lot of things are, uh, happening as far as planning on getting money so that we can actually get a lot of people there. We have almost 45 applicants. Wow, um, yeah. <clears throat> which is super cool, and then haven't quite got all the RSVPs out yet, um, but and those will come in, I'm sure. And so it's like super great to see all these people who are from all across the United States coming together, who are really excited to to connect with people who are of similar convictions, mm -hmm. um, and kind of have been like looking for a space like this, and like have been like. I don't feel comfortable enough um, in revolutionary spaces because of, of some of my, you know, religious beliefs. And I don't feel comfortable in, like, churches or whatever because of my revolutionary ideology. Right. And so it'll be, I think, I think this kind of space is necessary in making people feel safe and comfortable with both their politics and their um, religion. So I think this is really cool because this isn't something that, that has, at least to my knowledge, other than maybe like the Catholic workers, this isn't really something that, that bridges those kind of uh, revolutionary and religious um, tendencies together. So I'm excited to just at least be connecting with people and hearing their stories and, you know, figuring out, you know, who these people are. I'm excited also for a chance to, you know, prophesy and speak in tongues uh, with other people because I am pretty charismatic and that's something that I haven't had an opportunity to do uh, recently in Oklahoma. I don't really feel like there's a lot of charismatic churches there and I 
didn't really, I, I mean, I went to Temple a couple times, but even then it's not super charismatic either. So this, you know, mystic uh, tradition will be really fun to see actually, you know, happen with all fellow mystics. You know, we're going to have a, a good time as far as that's concerned. And uh, I'm excited for the workshops that are going to come about. There are some really cool um, workshops. I was thinking about doing a workshop um, on really like connecting uh, to your body and connecting to another person that's like a kind of based in Augusto Boal's Theater of the Oppressed um, style of, of like acrobatics and, and connection with other people. So we'll be doing some weird stuff, hopefully, if, I, <laughs> if that gets done. Um, so that'll be cool. It'll be cool to um, meet the uh, host of Friendly Anarchism in person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of your podcast, and I know um, you're really cool. You go everywhere, so that'll be fun. I don't know. What else What else can people expect? Well, can you explain um, what charismatic means? Because I've only very recently heard that term, actually, because I'm very new to the whole religion thing, basically. And I've never spoken in tongues. I've never seen anybody speak in tongues. The whole thing seems like pretty crazy for me. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> and so like, I didn't even really put two and two together that like you and Haysung and everything were gonna get in a room together. Of course, you're gonna speak in tongues. <laughs> and yeah. I, I'm wow. I'm excited to see that. I've never. It sounds. It actually. I talked to Haysung about it in, during his episode, where it sounds pretty liberatory. Like it's just like throwing off all of these social conventions about like being you know just whatever speaking in tongues is it's such a kind of like i hate using the ableist language like, like wacky that's what we talk about instead of using saying crazy saying wacky it seems like, a, like you know what i mean like it's something that if you just sort of like felt your knees and started speaking in tongues in a grocery store you know they probably get the cops called on you so it's like, uh, like yeah. kind of shows that like the social conventions there are strongly against that so that's really going to be interesting but yeah could you go ahead and sort of talk about what charismatic means yeah, so charismatic is uh, a movement that kind of developed in a lot of uh, Christian circles, I think, in like the 60s and 70s. And so where like you get the term like holy roller, the kind of like Pentecostal whack jobs, like nut jobs who would just like um, like be prayed over by some person and they would like fall to their knees, like unable to speak in intelligible words they would instead be uh speaking in the tongue of the spirit is i guess uh where we get the term speaking in tongues from and so the charismatic movement was a movement that like a lot of pentecostal and non-denominational churches started um putting in practice where you know they would you know uh go to like the gifts of the spirit like prophecy and healing and uh speaking in tongues and so they would like go out and start doing all these things. And so in the Messianic church or temple that I went to, uh, they were connected to a church. And so we would do those things uh, as a part of it because our church was charismatic. Um, and so it was kind of really cool to do. I really felt a connection uh, to the spirit whenever I would speak in tongues. And that was just like letting loose, like, like you talked about, letting loose of any inhibitions that I had and just like praying and feeling that connection to the spirit as a result of the prayer and not necessarily trying to form words because I think that that's something that whenever we pray, we try really hard 
to pray the right way, pray in a way that like God will, you know, hear and or whatever it is so that we can, you know, get the, the desired outcome. But instead, it wasn't about getting something other than just connecting with God and just like speaking the language of God, the love language of God. Um, and that's what it means to me to do that. Um, and I find that it really helps with my everyday prayer if I like will just start out speaking in tongues. I'm able to access that that spirit a lot easier whenever I start with tongues or whenever I I speak in tongues, I'm also just like I'm aware that I'm communicating something to God and God is hearing what I'm communicating and is responding to that based on what I need. So I, I don't even have to use, you know, specific words sometimes I can just like start praying in tongues and that's that's good enough for me and that's good enough for God yeah I mean that kind of ties back into you know, the seeking is like we maybe don't even know what to ask for you yeah, know like, yeah. It's like I can't I can't put into words what I need from God right now so I'm not gonna try <laughs> you know? most of the time for me it's peace and so that <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I I'll find myself asking for over and over and over again. And then sometimes I, I don't know. And so, yeah, I'll just speak in tongues. And I'm, like, seeking that that connection, that thing that I do need. Well, it seems like that's the kind of thing that would really be hard to reconcile with some revolutionary spaces because that's the kind of, like, deeply um, unconventional religious practice or... Or that's something that gets made fun of. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. like the, there's all these like always videos of like people speaking in tongues and going all crazy, like sort of like around atheist circles to make fun of and that kind of stuff. You know, and there's a strong strain of atheism within anarchism and with sort of leftist practice. Yeah. So it feels like that really that there would be a lot of hostility to that tradition in revolutionary spaces. Have you found that? I I have I think that uh, like I know that even on your page you get a lot of comments like from people who are like how can you call yourself an anarchist and a Christian like didn't Marx or whoever talk about you know God being irreconcilable with um, you know the revolutionary movements um, and so yeah that's something that I I found has has kind of made me feel uncomfortable with trying to do that in um, in some anarchist spaces, but also I don't let it stop me if I really feel like I do need to pray and, and really intercess on behalf of, of whatever is happening around me. And I'll like, I'll ask my friends like, Hey, can I pray for you? Like, can I like lay hands on you? Like, can I do these things that like are kind of like are, they might make you uncomfortable, but ultimately like, I think I, I find that it is helping me and I find that it also helps other people feel more comfortable at the end. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, like, in general, I think that there is something extremely liberating about speaking in tongues, like you talked about earlier. Like, there's something that is, like, I'm, I'm casting aside any, like, anything that is, like, holding me back. So, like, have, trying to think of the right word to say or, like, feeling like I have to perform in front of these people and instead, I'm just speaking. I'm just, like, letting the words come forward no matter what they are. And I think that that's something that we absolutely need in a lot of revolutionary spaces. We need to liberate 
ourselves if we're going to try to do work that is liberating to other people. Like we need to liberate our minds and our bodies, which is something that Boal talks about as well in his theater of the oppressed. Um, and like not allow ourselves to be oppressed by the systems that are in place around us. Instead, just break free from them so that we can begin to put in work to, to completely get rid of the system and build another one. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sort of reminds me of Dada, right? The Dadaist movement where people would just do ridiculous stuff sort of as an expression of how ridiculous war is during the, it was at the beginning, the, it was uh, during World War One era. Yeah, the 1920s, those areas, yeah. So it reminds me of that, sort of. Like, I never, you know, the sort of liberatory, just, like, wackiness, I guess, is sort of seemingly out of nowhere or out of just a place of just wild, wild freedom, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. I've never had hands laid on me. I don't even really know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) that's funny whoa (laughs) yeah no i'm pretty new i'm pretty new to the whole thing i mean like i was definitely sort of in the atheist camp i'm pretty sure a few years ago i would have made fun of somebody well maybe not i'm a nice person pretty much but you know like you know not felt like not felt weird about making fun of people who were speaking in tongues possibly um you know like those videos that go around and whatever and it's just sort of like it it can feel, and you're talking about the people on my page, like, yeah, there's a lot of hostility in the movement still, so I'm really, really happy to have found the Friendly Fire Collective, and I'm really excited for this retreat, too, because it can, it can seem like, um, the hostility really gets me down sometimes, you know, just like, it's like feeling like you're just constantly fighting, even to be in my own space, like, it's my page, you know, yeah. it's like, so it's like I'm fighting to feel comfortable in my own space sometimes. And like these like revolutionary spaces feel like it's like I'm an anarchist. This is my space too. I shouldn't have to fight so hard to be here, you know, but then it's like, so, so to go on this retreat, I'm just crazy excited to feel like, and it sounds like it'll be just really relaxing, you know, yeah. just like not have to worry about that not have to worry about that kind of like pushback and hostility will be really lovely. Yeah, it's all about us getting together and just, you know, existing as as radical mystics together, mm-hmm. which will be great. Yeah, and, and also there's a direct action, so we'll all feel like we're we're doing something together. We're not just like partying in the woods in the like middle of nowhere, you know, an hour and a half outside Philadelphia, but we're like actually gonna be, you know, doing some direct action in Philly on May Day, International Workers' Day. Mm-hmm. So that'll be good. Oh, yeah, I'm really excited. We're still figuring out the details of that. Um, but we're going to be, yeah, part of the May Day planning in general for the Philadelphia May Day. So we're going to be, like, tightly connected to that. And I'm really, really excited to be working on that project. May Day's fun, sort of a celebratory thing. And, like, being a mystic's a joyous celebratory thing. So I feel like it makes sense that May Day would be what we're starting this retreat with is this like celebratory day and moment you yes know what I mean? so that makes perfect sense i think like that ties together really well with um the entire you know charismatic mystic thing you know what i mean yeah absolutely yeah mayday do you know 
do you know? I mean, it's so it's so interesting though because Mayday has such like painful roots, you know. Like I tell tell us more about that. Well, Mayday. So Mayday, yeah, Mayday is a public holiday for celebrated on May first. I have the Wikipedia up right now, so we just read that. So there's a traditional Mayday that has to do with springtime. That's the has to do with um, the Floralia Festival of Flora, the Roman goddess of flowers. Huh. That's the earliest May Day, supposedly. And then is that when they like walk around like the maypole, like yeah. the, the ribbons and stuff like that? Yep. And, like, May Day is the International Workers' Day that commemorates the um, Haymarket um, massacre on 1886, which was on May 1st. There was a well, on, on May 1st, there was a general strike for the eight-hour workday. And then on May 4th, there was a public assembly to support the strike, and somebody threw a bomb. It's never been identified who threw the bomb. The state used it as an excuse to crack down really hard on anarchists and organizers um, They by claiming that it was the anarchists who threw the bomb um, without any sort of actual way of proving that. In fact, the people that they rounded up and blamed the bomb on, some of them, like, had really good, um, excuses, like, not excuses, had really good, had solid alibis for not having been there. Like, somebody was on a roof, I think, like, a mile away. Um, and, um, so the Haymarket Affair is, um, where that came from. So it's actually got this roots and sort of this violent act as a commemoration of people's deaths for International Workers Day, but then it's also got this tie to this pagan tradition of celebrating springtime and like having a party and dancing. So it's like it's like a martyr celebration kind of thing that sort of like ties in super well with what we're doing because it's both yeah. like about anarchism and about this sort of like political practice and remembrance. At the same time, as it's this celebration of this kind of, like, pagan spring spirit. And, you know, just, yeah. like, kind of, like, getting drunk and going crazy and, like, having fun, you know? So it's sort of, like, both of those things happen on the same day, which feels like my, me in my life. <laughs> yeah. It <laughs> like feels very day. much like what we as a collective <laughs> are all about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it's like we're we're celebrating us coming together and, and we're we're together trying to uh, touch the spirit, this God. Uh, and we're also painfully aware of how much uh, you know, sadness is around us due to our conditions, the fact that we're existing under late capitalism and have to constantly be facing uh, racism, sexism, heterosexism, and cissexism uh, throughout all of our, our practices. And so it's like, great, got to deal with all this, and I'm very bummed about it, but I'm really excited to be uh, together with all these fellow mystics as we are seeking out the divine and mm -hmm. working toward building a better world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the quicker thing is you can't bring peace to the world until you bring peace to yourself. So it's like my practice lately, especially the last few months, has been trying to do a lot of internal work on bringing peace to myself. 
Um, and I've noticed that it's totally true that the more peace I bring to myself, the more that sort of ripples out into the, my ability to do peacemaking and liberatory work and anti-fascism out in the world. So it's like, I feel like these retreats, this retreat and sort of the spiritual work that we're doing as a collective has worth not just to us, but also because that spiritual work and that recentering and that like, um, sort of inner liberatory and peaceful practice ripples out into the wider movement, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's not, I don't feel like this is just for us, even though it can feel like it's just for us, you know? This is for our affinity groups all across the United States, because that's something that, you know, all of us are connected to some affinity group somewhere. And so having this place, this ability to be centered, to, you know, work on, on liberating ourselves is something that's going to better help our groups no matter where we are, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I spoke... Um... I'm going to run this, their interview after this interview, but I spoke with um, somebody from the Young Quaker podcast about the worth of having a spiritual or religious person as a part of an affinity group, and because the work of being spiritually connected and stable is actually work, you know, that it actually is hard, you know, that the work we do as spiritual folk as religious folk, as mystics trying to create that divine connection and find that light and bring it into ourselves and into the world takes a lot of effort and time and energy, you know, and that that can, I think, be appreciated possibly more by the movement as a whole, but can only really be appreciated if it's like, can be seen to actually be working and helping, you know what I mean? So it's like, if we're able, if we haven't been able to connect with each other and do that work, then we haven't been able to bring that spirit to our group. So hopefully having this retreat where we can like be together and do some really heavy lifting with our spiritual practice, because it isn't just going to be partying in the woods, because like it is, it is work, this spiritual work, you know what I mean? And like, but it's good, like it's good work, you know, it feels good. Like maybe if we can do this sort of heavy lifting at this retreat, then then we'll be able to actually bring some of that spirit back to our affinity groups in a much more tangible way. That's my that's my hope. Yeah. There is a lot of self-discipline involved in seeking out the connection with the spirit that informs the self-discipline that is necessary for a lot of anti-fascist action. And like the like working out so I can, you know, punch a Nazi better or like, you know, <laughs> making sure that I, I'm, I'm eating healthy and, and, you know, taking care of my body. It's all important for all kinds of action, my spiritual well-being and my emotional well-being and also my ability to be a better anarchist, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So talking about discipline, discipline's an interesting subject because we're talking about being liberated and like kind of going wild but at the same time is that liberation informing discipline in our practice because um we're doing dangerous work and if you're doing dangerous work you need to have your shit together you know what i mean like there's yeah. there's a time and a place for like liberatory wildness and then there's a time and a place for like getting down to business and like serious and being serious and focused so it's like how does that sort of inner and outer liberatory space and practice inform a like a tight 
discipline of our ability to stay steady and calm and focused and um, safe when we're doing more dangerous work in the field. I think that allowing ourselves to be put in a place where we have the ability to go crazy, to, to unleash all of the things that are holding us back or down can make us more readily available to get our shit together when it needs to be back together. So like having a place for us to be, you know, liberatory and liberating with our like mind and body allows me to recognize that that's not a place where I need to be always. I need to also be doing these practices, having this discipline in um, my daily life that I can better have a relationship with God and better construct my direct action that I'm doing or whatever it is. Something I really like about the like the Quaker worship that occurs is it's like it's all about you know taking a moment of silence and for me that allows me to really connect with the spirit in a way that um, even like speaking in tongues doesn't really allow me to and but it does allow me it liberates me because I'm you know I'm sitting in silence so then I have to be aware of you know my thoughts and my cognitions and so I'm aware of my cognitions and I'm, you know, specifically uh, releasing those thoughts in that silence um, in order to connect with the spirit, which is something that is helpful in like grounding and like anxiety. Like that's what they say to do is just like sit and be quiet and just breathe. And so it's like those those kind of, of religious practices are good for all kinds of emotional and physical well-beings. Yeah, you know, I was talking to Heisung about wishing that there was more singing in Quaker practice, you know, that the silence is really nice, but it would be nice if we had, like, those, we talked a little bit about, like, those, like, like, get really wild in these, like, black churches and these, like, Baptist churches, people are just, like, singing yeah. and stomping and, like, then the speaking in tongues and, like, all of this, like, wild, wild stuff, and it's sort of, like, Quakerism seems like the opposite of that, where it's so still and quiet. And I think it's nice to have a balance of the two or some way to have, if there's a way to have both. And like, sort of that's the same thing for being an anarchist. It's like there seems to be a need to sort of have a balance of both. Um, being the time, time to be wild. It's the time for riots. And there's, there's a time for riots and then there's a time for, um, I don't know, what's the opposite? Meetings, I guess. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like, do we have the other one in anarchism? Like, do we have the still silence in anarchism or do we only have the... Uh, speaking in tongues. Hi, Catherine here. I'm interjecting as I'm editing. I just wanted to say before we get into this part of the discussion, just to make it clear that um, I am, we are going to be doing some self-crit of the anarchist movement, but it comes from a very loving place. I've also never been happier in many ways. It's been incredibly joyous to be an anarchist and find such wonderful community with people who are so dedicated and loving and a lot of our problems are just because we're not immune to the forces that we are working against. So even though we do have problems with patriarchy, we do have problems with um, how we organize in these spaces, it's not because anarchists are 
worse than other people. In fact, I think we actually are very much better in many ways because we are actively trying to address these issues in a way that larger society isn't necessarily doing. So just saying that before we get into this, because it is going to be some sort of difficult self-crit. All right. I love you. Bye. I don't know. I feel like there's there's times whenever, like, I'm like, everybody stop, like, trying to do the most right now and just, like, work on what we need to work on to get this done. I don't know, like, whenever everybody is is putting in their two cents, it's great, but, like, it'd be cool if, you know, we just, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, I know what you mean, but it's, it's sort of like, is there that space in anarchism? I think there needs to be. Yeah, for the absolutely. groundwork, for just the sort of, like, quiet... Um, well, I really love my knack and I kind of miss my neighborhood anarchist collective because there actually was a real space for that. We did a lot, a lot of very seemingly tedious work on structure, you know, and they sort of like the libertarian municipalists also who do sort of this like dedicated, quiet, not seemingly that exciting work and all these documents on process, process documents and praxis and like writing long documents about safety norms and like, um, you know, safe space norms and um, conflict resolution practices and all of these things are sort of a much more quieter part of sort of an anarchist movement where we're building a new society and that takes a lot of sort of detail focused work that's not the same as sort of these really loud intensive Molotov cocktail type of actions, right? Yeah. We need both. Yeah, absolutely. And and not having a place for that, like, a, that, like, getting down to, like, works, writing out those long documents, like, actually working on, on building processes to keep people safe. Without it, then we're just, we're, like, a, I think we, we get into, like, manarchist kind of, of spaces, where, like, it's all about, like, how many guns can I own, and how many, like, you know, cops can I shit talk to? So like, it's it's not really about the the world that we're trying to create. It in, instead comes becomes like a like a masturbatory like man's club kind of thing. Mm, yeah, you think how does patriarchy tie into the problems of the movement when you're talking about? You know, you just touched on it a little bit, but like, what other issues have you seen with um, patriarchy and um, misogyny and the sexism and trans misogyny and how they've affected kind of our ability as anarchists to get good work done. Yeah, I think that a lot of the time um, with a lot of um, anarchist spaces, first of all, they're like male dominated. And by that, I mean like not just like mostly males there, although that does feel like the case um, with a lot of places, spaces that I've been in. Um, but there's a lot of social capital that, uh, the men have, um, that women and, um, trans people don't necessarily have. Um, and whether that is just like that they are not interrupted as much or that they are, their ideas are the ideas that are, uh, the group is more willing to work toward achieving, um, I find is, is an example of, of how the patriarchy, um, kind of rears its ugly head, um, in anarchist spaces, even though a lot of the time 
a lot of my anarchist friends, almost all of them are, are, you know, talking about like the patriarchy being a offshoot of capitalism and that we need to dismantle it. There isn't really a lot of work being done to do that dismantling. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, sexual assault and um, sexual harassment is something that is not, maybe not called out as much as it, it can be or should be, or uh, I don't know, I think we tend to let it slide a little bit more because it's like at least this person is, you know, doing good things in this area. Like at least they're, you know, putting together this like uh, street medic um, training that needs to happen. And so like, yeah, it's great and all that, that they're doing these kinds of really great, you know, revolutionary work, but that does also need to have um, the, the norms of, of, how to actually treat people and respond to um, these queer and uh, female or femme voices. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely had problems. <laughs> it's not easy being a femme in the movement sometimes. You know? Yeah. Like, there's a, there's a lot of talk about patriarchy, but then there's not as much walk about actually dismantling it. I agree. I agree. An interesting... <clears throat> I think it's interesting because I think there's just not as many of us, and so it's hard for us to take criticism or give criticism because everyone is working so hard, and everybody is at least, yeah, is at least better than most of what's going on out in the world. So it's like, but doing that sitting in silence and waiting and self-criticism is painful and necessary, and we can't just keep relying on the fact that, like, well, at least we're doing better work than other people. It's like, all of that internal work is really important. All of like, we need to clean our own house and bring peace to our own movement before we'll ever be able to like fully liberate the world itself. You know what I mean? And like, there's yeah. a lot of not peace in the movement. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of conflict. There's a lot, there is a lot of harassment. There's a lot of like stuff going on that's not being identified or dealt with. There's a lot of need for better, stronger accountability processes you know, and like restorative justice processes, and that's all kind of this minutia and inner work that's really painful. I think inner work can be so much more painful, so people avoid it, especially if we're working in incredibly stressful situations already, you know, so it's like, we're already, do, we're trying to do good work in stressful situations, trying to like sit in quiet with ourselves and or with, um, with yeah, I mean like with ourselves and trying to find that inner peace, which, which takes... A lot of it can take a lot of pain because being humbled hurts. It's yeah. hard. Doing the self-criticism hurts and is hard. It's like I don't have the time or the energy to do self-criticism right now when there's so much more going on. And also, um, you, know, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. we have to. Like we have to do that. We have to in order to do better work in our communities and like actually be building uh, processes for mutual aid. We can't just be, you know, saying that we're doing these things and, and doing and putting in place some of these practices like self-liberation. You talked about earlier, self-liberation is, uh, the way to liberate other people. And we have to be liberated from, you know, our own, like 
sexist uh, ways of thinking and viewing people. We have to, I'm constantly like the things that I'm saying or thinking, I'm like, oh, that's kind of sexist. Or like, oh, that's kind of racist. And like, I'm glad that I have people who are around me who are willing to call me out on those things in order to, um, and, and, you know, like allow, like allow me to work on, you know, why do I say these things? Like, why am I uh, doing this? Why am I, what, do, what practices do I need to place to, to change to not be able to do those things anymore or not? you know, think those kinds of thoughts. And so like having people around you to keep you accountable is really important, but it's also really challenging if we're not really willing to put in that kind of work um, to do it. And like you said, it, it gets exhausting just putting in, you know, the bare minimum of being an anarchist, which is like showing up to action sometimes. And so like, that's a lot. And, uh, on top of that, having to like self crit and also being really poor or whatever it yeah. is, it's like, it's really hard sometimes, but it's still necessary to do. Yeah. I think it's as important, if not more important for us to be doing the inner work, you know, and I think that's, we, are, we often are, get sucked into that capitalist idea that we are only worth our production value. You yeah. Know what I mean? That we, how much are we doing out in the world that's tangible that we can get credit for? You know what I mean? When it's like, yeah. that's not as, a, that's, there's, there's work that needs to be done that you're not ever going to get credit for. That's going to be painful, you know, which is a lot of that. But then also when you talk about criticism and talk about self-criticism and talking about holding yourself accountable and holding other people accountable, none of that can happen without like really loving communication and I think a lot of our communication, the way we talk to each other, um, the way I've talked to people, the way people have talked to me, um, the way that I've seen other people talk to each other can be incredibly hostile or bad communication, or we just don't talk to each other at all. You know what I mean? And we end up in these, in these cycles of people not understanding each other because we're communicating incredibly badly or not communicating. And so it's like, how, I feel like coming back to like, that root of like living in a space of love and peace because you have to be at a place of love and peace in order to either take criticism or give it in a constructive way. Yeah. Do you think that, um, that people's inability to communicate with other people, uh, comes from, uh, an, an ability to see themselves or other people as having, uh, the same amount of worth or, or what do you think is the largest kind of, problem to getting that communication? Um, I think that we are delicate empaths, honestly. I think a lot of us are just like socially extraordinarily awkward. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think it's anything <laughs> wrong with us. I don't think there's anything like necessarily bad. I think there's a lot of people that just have a hard time with other people. <laughs> you know, like that's sort of where I'm at. It's like sometimes it's bad communication just because like I don't have any idea how to do that, you know, <laughs> or don't want to, or it's scary, you know, like it's, it's, it's hard, you know, especially if people are delicate and sort of this empaths tend to be sort of thin-skinned. I, I can be really thin-skinned and you know, other anarchists seem to have a tendency to also be kind of thin-skinned. So you don't want to give criticism and like get pushback or give criticism and really hurt somebody. And you also necessarily, if you're a thin skin, can't take criticism very well, you know. And so it's, it's, so it's like all of us sort of need a way to sort of have a thicker skin, but also be delicate and loving with each other, 
but also hold each other accountable. Like, again, like, sort of talking about a seeking faith, it's like, I don't have all the answers for this. I just, yeah. like, you know what I mean? I'm just sort of, like, talking through the problems and, like, sort of, like, continuing to seek a way to solve these issues that we have, but coming from a place of understanding, it's like, it's not because there's anything wrong with us or wrong with anybody else. You know, so maybe it does come back to that love and light where it's like, I'm going to come to the table with a green lens, with, like, assuming best intentions from you, that you are a person of love and light that maybe is having problems, um, you know what I mean, like, you know, I, I, how I've done it, how I've been trying to do it and sort of instigate with my own affinity groups and stuff, is instead of jumping straight to what's wrong with this person, like, are they a cop, are they a snitch, are they an abuser, it's like, I think there's actually really one of three things going on that are causing a lot of the problems in the movement. Is like, is this problem a process problem? Is this a communications problem? Or is this a trauma problem? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So those are the three things I think I've seen most of a lot of the problems going on in a movement could be taken down to one of those things. So you have to have clear, egalitarian, non-authoritarian process. If that's not happening, then things go badly, right? You have to have open, loving, honest dialogue and communications if that's not happening things go badly because people don't know what's going on or people are just seriously traumatized you know and dealing with all of these oppressive structures that they've been living under and all of these like trauma related things in their lives and so it's like people are just acting out of a place of pain you know what i mean so it's like if we can start trying to come at problems like that instead of what is wrong with you you know what i mean so it's like i think like Understanding that we're all equal, you know, understanding that we all have a light within is a way of, and seeing the world in that way is a way of approaching problems from a loving place instead of a place of, like, trying to figure out, you know, just, like, blaming others. Yeah. And I think that, do you think that as mystics we kind of have a easier time seeing people, seeing the light in people? And so it kind of can allow, uh, well, because everyone's mystic, but like for those of us who are like seeking, you know, that, that mystic truth, that divine light, whatever it is, like, do you think we have a, an easier time of, of, uh, forgiveness or of understanding, uh, people better through that? I think so, but I don't think it's because we're naturally more gifted in that way necessarily. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's just because it's a practice. Because it's an active practice to, like, try and live those values. You know, those values of do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. You Micah 6-8. Micah 6-8, yeah. My favorite. Yeah. My fave. My, mine too. Yeah, so good. You should get one of my patches. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, so, um, because, so it's like, it's a way of studying the world and trying to move through the world with those values always in place that allows allows for those things in a way that I think is important and I I hope that the work that we're doing at the retreat will both be inward and outward in that way that we can do that inward self-liberatory and inward calming work and inward crit at the same time as we can take that to an outward space so it's that balance that I'm really proud of our our collective for trying to find and I hope that we can carve out space in the movement for that type of work 
you know, and I think a lot of people are not necessarily under, you know, I think a lot of people are just not under sort of the mystic faith umbrella, but if we can sort of join into the movement of other people who are doing all this work to create accountability processes and to smash patriarchy and all of those things, if there's a way we can tie in with all of that, um, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, agreed. I think that the movement really right now is, I feel like, under attack by some kind of demonic force or maybe just fascism or whatever it is, especially with uh, some of the members of our collective who are, you know, undergoing um, felony um charges and and are being faced with a lot of you know the the problems with like capitalism and as far as like being really poor right now or whatever it is there is there is a demonic energy that is capitalism and it is rearing its ugly head once again in our lives and we are kind of i think hopefully going to be able to come together because I think the the biggest uh, way that we can fight against that is existing in a community together mm-hmm. and and actually listening and having clear communicative processes and uh, actually putting in place the standards that we need to to you know make sure that everybody is is feeling safe so like community is the antithesis to capitalism. And I think that that's very, very important that we're, we're doing this right work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the same for all anarchists everywhere, trying to build, yeah. build those community spaces and build better, more egalitarian anarchist processes and um, creating workers' co-ops and doing mutual aid and all of the... I'm so proud of anarchists in general and we're working yeah. under incredible amounts of stress and... Um, I hope that we can find some peace. You know, I just feel like a lot of anarchists are in a lot of pain. Yeah. You know, there seems to be a lot of pain in the movement, you know, and it's sort of like, if I hope that there's a way that we can find a solve, a salve for that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah, you know, I've been in a lot of pain and I've been in a lot of pain because of the movement, Mm -hmm. you know, like the movement itself has caused me a lot of pain. And so it's like, where is this source of this pain? And how do we excise it? How do we exercise it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, how can I massage it out? Like, how can I, what can I do to to feel good again? And for me, luckily, I have, you know, the spirit that I can connect to. Mm-hmm. And I have um, friends that I can talk to about the issues that I'm having. So that, for me, has become a really good self. But... I know that that's not necessarily something that other people can access. A lot of anarchists have been hurt by religion. And and so, like, they don't have, you know, they, they feel rejected by it, so they don't want to connect to it. Well, it's been a little over an hour. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Um, just if I could just talk a little bit more about the retreat and um, how it's going to be super exciting uh, and we have a GoFundMe that we're trying to um, use to raise money to allow um, people of color and queer people um, to attend with uh, limited financial burden uh, to them. Um, 
because it is in Philly and we do have people coming from, you know, California or Georgia, all across the United States. And so providing funds would be really helpful in getting them there. Um, so uh, please, please, please consider donating to our GoFundMe, even if it's just 5 or $20, whatever you have would be awesome. Great. Thank you. I'm excited Thank to you, work Catherine. with you. Yeah, I'm excited for the treat. I'm excited to work with you. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you. I appreciate it. I can't wait to meet you.